Welcome. You're listening to the Beaver Dam Baptist Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. If you would like more information about Beaver Dam Baptist Church or have questions about today's message, please visit us on the internet at www.bdbc.org. If there is one thing I think we can agree upon as it pertains to Christmas, is that there are many people who are consumed by Christmas. It is not just a one day a year holiday. Most other holidays are one day, but not Christmas. It is not even just a two-day holiday. I'll give you the Thanksgiving we might call a two-day holiday, and Christmas you might say is Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, but we know it's not limited to that. It goes well beyond that. Tracy has a cousin who is clearly consumed with Christmas. Every single day in December, she has a themed day. Uh, She makes themed food to watch themed movies, all of it surrounded by Christmas. And of course, she posts all of those details online. And now we have this nonsense called Christmas in July. I know some of you had participated in that, and yes, I said it is nonsense. Christmas is not in July. We were at a marina this past summer, and walking toward us, coming from the other way, was a group of people all decked out in Christmas shirts with lights around their neck in July. It's just not a one- or two-day holiday anymore. It's turned into a month-long celebration and seems to be growing beyond that. There are, of course, travel plans to make, especially in blended families where Christmas get-togethers span several weekends over the month of December in order to include everyone. There are presents to buy, decorations to put up, cards to send, and cards to pick up at the Christmas post office in the hallway at church. There are work parties and church parties, all of which involve preparing a dish to share and a present perhaps to exchange. There are programs to attend like church musicals or children's pageants, not to mention the regular services that are a part of Christmas, which in my opinion are essential to celebrating the Christmas season, though obviously not everyone agrees with me. And all of this, of course, starts as soon as as Thanksgiving is over with and doesn't let up until Christmas is behind us and we spend the last week of the year exhaling and catching our breath before we start another year. All of this activity and busyness of Christmas leaves us exhausted and wondering whether it's all worth it. Perhaps we think back to Christmas's past to simpler times when it wasn't all this busy and wish we could go back there. We remember when it wasn't so commercialized and so hectic. We remember when we weren't so tired by the time it was all over with and we didn't have to deal, at least to the same degree, with irritable relatives or children. So maybe your attendance here this morning is a small way in which you're trying to turn back the clock. Let's go to church this morning and see if we can think about for a few moments the real meaning of Christmas. Nothing wrong with that. 
Perhaps the preacher might even give us some tips or advice on how to slow things down, how to think a little more clearly, how to find the peace and joy that is supposed to characterize this religious celebration. And you do hear sermons like that, and I've preached sermons like that. Let's slow down and enjoy the season so that Christmas is not all that consuming. But that's not my message this morning. In fact, I'm going the opposite direction. I'm going to propose to you this morning that it's not that we are consumed by Christmas too much, but rather we are not consumed by Christmas enough. Now, before you check out mentally or maybe even physically get up and walk out, because you think, I don't need to hear this. There's already enough going on with Christmas. I don't need to hear you add more to it. But give me a minute to explain. We talked last week about the fact that Christ is coming. That is, we looked at the Old Testament and the prophecies of the coming Messiah. And then, of course, we went forward and talked about the fact that Christ is still coming for us. We still await the return of the Messiah. But this morning, we are going to look at an equally common reality from a different perspective, and that is that we should be consumed by Christmas. I want to introduce to you some people this morning who were, in fact, consumed by Christmas. Many of these you will know. Others, of course, will be a little more obscure. But as we look at these people, I want you to be thinking is your Christmas celebration similar to theirs? Are you consumed by the Christmas story as much as they were? Now, I'm going to use multiple passages this morning. They'll all be in the same vicinity. So I've not put any of these on the screen today because we're going to jump around. We're going to hopscotch from passage to passage. So we're going to have to do it the old-fashioned way this morning. You're going to have to open your Bible, either digitally or physically, and follow along with me. Furthermore, I really don't have any points to the sermon this morning. I do have an overriding point, but I don't have individual points that you might need to remember or write down. We're simply going to look at some people who are involved in this story and then compare their reaction to ours. So let's start with a senior adult lady named Anna. You'll find her in Luke chapter 2 verses 36 through 38. Luke chapter 2, and we're going to stay in Luke, so we're going to be jumping around, but it's all going to be right here within a few pages. Luke chapter 2, verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, you may not be as familiar with this part of the story, or maybe you've never even connected Anna to the events of that first Christmas. We don't know anything more about her other than these few verses that I've just read, which is why she is a character that is easy to overlook. 
you do understand that her story takes place 40 days after Christmas. As Jesus has been brought to the temple, verse 22 tells us that it was after the time of the purification, which for a male child was 40 days. And then he was brought as an offering, presented to the Lord as a dedication, being the firstborn son. So what do we know about Anna? Well, she was a prophetess meaning that she spoke for God. This does not mean necessarily that she was speaking new revelation. Rather, it probably means she was speaking the Old Testament. She was not speaking words on par with the Old Testament. She was explaining, she was teaching the Old Testament. There are other women who are given this title, both in the New Testament and the Old Testament. For example, the daughters of Philip in Acts chapter 21 are given this title. She was married, but only for seven years, and then her husband died. And then she lived 84 more years, or she lived to the age of 84. The terminology can go either way there. But either way, she is a senior adult here by the time she is introduced to us. And she was a devoted and faithful servant of God. She either lived on the temple grounds, which would have been very odd for a woman to do, or the phrase there, she did not depart from the temple, could be a figure of speech. Much like we used to say of somebody, they are always at church. That doesn't mean literally they were always there. It just means they were there a lot. But here was a lady who worshiped and fasted and prayed and waited on the arrival of Christmas. She was clearly consumed with the thought of the Messiah coming. And as a result, it just so happened that when Jesus was brought to the temple, she is there, though of course we know that that is no coincidence at all. And somehow, we're not told how, but somehow she realizes that Jesus is the Messiah, perhaps because she had heard what Simeon had to say, and she joins in and praises God, spreading the news that the Messiah has arrived. Redemption is here. In fact, we are going to see these two common denominators, these two common traits of someone consumed by Christmas, and that is they praise God and they tell other people. So let's back up in the story just a little bit. The setting is still the same, and we will consider a man by the name of Simeon. I always remember this man because Adrian Rogers at Bellevue preached a sermon one Christmas that was entitled, The Man Who Could Not Die Before Christmas. Clearly, he was better at sermon titles than I am. So look at chapter 2, verses 25 and 26. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. The Bible has nothing but good things to say about Simeon. He was righteous, he was devout, and like Anna, he was waiting expectedly on the coming of the Messiah. 
I mean, here was a man who clearly knew that Christmas was coming, and in his own lifetime. Remember, we said last week that then when the Old Testament prophecies were given, they had no idea how long they had to wait, even as we have no idea how long we must wait for the return of Christ. But Simeon was told that he would see the Lord's Christ in his own lifetime before he died. So when Jesus was brought to the temple 40 days after Christmas... Simeon is extremely excited. He takes the baby into his arms, something I've discovered most first-time mothers really don't like you to do. But he gets the baby in his arms, and he is praising and praying to God. He knows that he can now die in peace because his eyes have beheld the salvation of God. Can't you hear in that statement the consuming nature of Christmas? This man wanted one thing above all other things, and that was he wanted to see the Messiah. And having been given that promise, and now that promise has been fulfilled, his life is complete, he is ready to die. I suppose we need to take a moment and consider what it means to be consumed by something, consumed by anything. I mean, I think we probably know what that means, but we might be reluctant to admit it. Many are consumed by their favorite sports team, reading everything that they can get their hands on, signing up for alerts for breaking news so that they're one of the first to hear the story, spending money on memorabilia, clothing, and of course, tickets. These are the people who know every name that's in the transfer portal and every name that the team is recruiting from high school on up. Others are consumed with themselves and their own success, sparing no expense and striving to be successful in their career, hoping for the monetary advancement that is surely to come their way as they get that success. Some are consumed by family. And this gives you the idea that what we are consumed by is not necessarily a bad thing, Family is a good thing, as long as it is not out of focus. But some be go beyond this, and family is everything. And wasn't it Jesus himself who taught on multiple occasions that discipleship might mean forsaking our family? When told on one occasion that his mother and his brothers were outside wanting to speak to him, Jesus looked around the audience, and he said, "'Who are my mother and my brothers?' And his point was that those who were following him, the disciples, not the 12, but the larger group of people that were following him were in reality his true mother and brothers. Now, this is not being disrespectful to his immediate family. He was simply making a point, a point about priorities, that the body of Christ is our family as believers. And many modern-day believers don't seem to grasp this. You've heard this before, but you can figure out what you are consumed by in a number of ways. Number one, where do you invest your time? When not, when not working or sleeping, unless working or sleeping is what consumes you, but when not doing those things that we have to do, what is it that consumes your time? Secondly, where do you spend your money? That is, when you've paid all of your fixed expenses and you have money left over to do whatever you want to with it, that'll give you a hint about what consumes your life. Thirdly, what do you think about? When you have free time to think about whatever you want to think about, what is it that comes to your mind? And of course, these days we have to add, 
what is it that you are posting online. If you look over your posts, it'll give you a pretty good idea of what it is that consumes you. What consumed the life of Simeon was the arrival of Christmas. He couldn't wait for it. He had to, of course, even as we do, but he waited expectantly. Most didn't realize the significance of Christ's birth in spite of the numerous Old Testament prophecies, but Simeon and Anna did because they were consumed by Christmas. Now let's back up and go to the beginning of the story. I want to introduce you to a couple that was clearly consumed by Christmas so much so that it changed their life forever. You might think I'm talking about Mary and Joseph, but we're not there just yet. Let's first look at Zechariah and Elizabeth. This was not a young couple expecting their first child. Instead, like Anna and Simeon, these were senior adults. So let's eavesdrop on their home like Ebenezer Scrooge or George Bailey. Luke chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Luke 1, 6 and 7. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. From a first century perspective, there is a contradiction in these verses. How could they both be righteous and blessed by God and yet Elizabeth is barren? Because the lack of ability to bear children in that day was a sign of God's displeasure. We've seen this very drama play out in several Old Testament homes, most notably the covenant between God and Abraham, where it wasn't until they, he and Sarah were very old that they finally had the promised child, Isaac. I'm sure by now, Zechariah and Elizabeth have come to terms with it. They've endured the chatter and the quizzical looks, all the while remaining faithful. Zechariah performing his priestly duties like he had done for many years and no doubt content now to do it in his older years until the Lord would take him home. But then everything changed. An angel appeared to him while he was in the temple and the angel announced that God had heard his prayers and they would have a son and that son's name would be John. And not just any son, but the forerunner of Christ, the wilderness man who would come to prepare the way for the Lord. Would Zechariah and Elizabeth be consumed by this news? You bet they would. Zechariah was unable to speak until John is born because at first he did not believe the report of the angel Gabriel. Six months into her pregnancy, Elizabeth gets a visit from a relative a young cousin named Mary, who is also pregnant. Look at chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. Luke 1, 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. 
And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth is well aware that Mary is carrying the coming Messiah. What a tremendous word of praise at this very early time. That she was filled with joy, not doubt about the future. Clearly their home would never be the same after John arrives. For they will forever be linked with Christmas and the significance that their son played in that Christmas. So I think it's fair to say that Zachariah and Elizabeth also were consumed by Christmas. Certainly the two who get most of the publicity other than Jesus himself are of course Joseph and Mary. There is no doubt that their lives were turned upside down because of this event. To say that they too were consumed by Christmas would be an understatement because, of course, their lives drastically changed as a result of these news. It began when their engagement was shattered. Here was a young couple, not unlike many other young couples in Nazareth or any part of the world at that time. They had their whole lives in front of them, much like young couples in America do. Their dreams, their hopes... Maybe they had it all mapped out, what their life was going to be like, like so many young people think they do. Or maybe they were more realistic and realized they had no idea what the future held for them. All they knew was they loved each other and they were intent on getting married, starting a family, settling into the routine of life in a small village 70 miles north of Jerusalem. There they would live out their days and die, die to history like everyone else in that village. That is, of course, until the day when an angel appeared to Mary and told her that she was pregnant. Luke chapter 1, verse 30. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. But wait, I'm a virgin, she says, how can this be? Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. As unusual and unlikely as this was, it was not the only part of the story that turned their world upside down. You know that just prior to giving birth, Joseph and Mary had to travel to Bethlehem because of a census. But was that the real reason they had to go to Bethlehem? Not according to the gospel narratives. Matthew tells us that this was done in fulfillment of Micah's prophecy that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Sometime later, the young family is forced to flee to Egypt in order to save Jesus' life because Herod had decreed that all boys born in and around Bethlehem, two years old and younger, were to be killed. An attempt to do away with the Messiah. There would, of course, be more attempts as he grew older, the last one culminating in his death at Calvary. 
But even that didn't do away with him. Rather, it fulfilled his earthly ministry and set the stage for the most dramatic proof of his deity. That is his resurrection. Though, of course, I'm getting ahead of myself by several months. Eventually, Herod and and his family died. And therefore, Jesus and his family are able to move back to Nazareth, where Jesus remains until his earthly ministry begins sometime around the age of 30. We know that the birth of a baby consumes parents for months, even years afterwards. The entire family structure and life are different, especially when it is the firstborn baby. Everything revolves around that new life, that bundle of joy that consumes you. Kate Middleton, the Princess of Wales, surprises you that I know that, doesn't it? Is hosting a Christmas Eve special this year at Westminster Abbey. But the truth of the matter is it's already been filmed. In her opening introduction, she's going to stress the importance of all babies, saying in part, the arrival of every baby is a precious and momentous time. She is an advocate for the importance of early childhood through her campaign, Shaping Us. And while that is true, that every baby is important, and while that would be equally true of Jesus, because in many ways he was a baby like any other, however we know and they knew that he's much more than just a baby. Mary is going to be consumed with Jesus for the rest of her life, watching his earthly ministry seeing it ending on Calvary with the pain that any mother would experience. The same pain that Simeon warned her about just 40 days into the journey of motherhood. Look at chapter 2, verses 33 through 35. Chapter 2, verse 33. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. While we would expect his parents to be consumed with him, there are many more examples, but I'll just mention one. The shepherds who were simply doing their job in the field tending their sheep like they had no doubt done countless other days and nights. But this night, something would change their routine and would change them forever. As an angel appeared to them too. In fact, they were visited by a multitude of the heavenly host. Chapter 2, verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And having had their evening interrupted by the angels, The shepherds patiently listened to what they had to say, and then they went back to their life as they had before. 
And of course, you know that's not what they did. If that's what they had done, we would not be talking about them every Christmas. Instead, verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. The message they heard was life-changing. It was life-consuming, and so they left their normal routine, and they traveled to Bethlehem. Now, I'm not trying to imply that they never went back to shepherding. They, in fact, did. But I am saying that when they went back, they went back changed forever. Do you honestly think they forgot this evening when angels spoke to them and they traveled to Bethlehem to see the Messiah lying in a manger? Look at verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Here again, we see those two signs. Remember, I told you there were two commonalities when it comes to being consumed by Christmas. And that is praising God and telling others. Well, in the words of the writer of Hebrews, times will fail me to tell you of others. In other words, there's many more people I could give their testimony about being consumed by Christmas. We could look at the people Jesus healed along the way and ultimately forgave. The disciples that he mentored during his earthly ministry and that carried on that ministry after he returned to heaven. The women who ministered to him and followed him so faithfully. The crowds who heard him speak. But I do think I have time for at least one more. One more life changed and consumed by Christmas. It's someone you know very well. It is you. Most of us here this morning are professing believers. That is, at some point in our life, we have admitted our sin and we by faith have trusted in the Lord for our salvation. But are we consumed by Christmas? Not the busyness. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about how many days you celebrate. I'm talking about are we consumed by the message of Christmas, that the coming of the Messiah to save us from our sins and change our lives both now and forever. We've seen throughout this survey of the first Christmas that those two responses were common, praising God and telling people. Do those two responses play a significant role in your life, not just during the month of December, but throughout the year? We talked about how to determine what consumes us, where we spend our time, where we spend our money, what we think about and what we post. Is the message of the Messiah something you invest your time in? Is it something you financially support so that the gospel can go across the world? Is it something that is on your mind on a regular basis? I'm not trying to make you feel guilty this Christmas. But I do want you to take some time to think about whether the message of Christmas is truly the priority in our lives. Tracy and I were having dinner this Friday night, this past Friday night, in the home of one of our members who's here this morning. And as part of the conversation we had, they asked me over the course of your 25 plus years in, in ministry and in church, what do you think the greatest change that you've seen in churches? 
I thought about that for a moment, and we, we had a brief discussion about it, but ultimately I, I told them that I thought the greatest change was the nonchalant way in which professing Christians treat their relationship with God and his church. How casual we've become about it all, because in essence it's no longer our greatest priority. I jokingly told a senior adult lady this week that if Christians were committed to Christ and his church as much as a senior adult lady is committed to getting her hair done every week, our churches would be filled every Sunday. Unless you think I'm picking on senior adult ladies, I could say the same thing about young families and the way they are consumed by whatever extracurricular activity their child is currently involved in. And frankly, I would not be saying it jokingly because it is painfully true. I want us to experience Christmas throughout the year, the wonder and amazement that a Messiah would come to save us from our sins. I don't want it to be merely a date on the calendar, but it ought to be the passion of our lives. We ought to be able to say with Paul, when Christ, who is our life, that's my question this morning, is Christ our life. I'm not asking if you're saved, because I know you would answer yes. I'm asking, is Christ your life? Are you merely celebrating Christmas this season, or are you consumed by the message of Christmas all year long? Let me pray. Father, we do thank you for this time of year when we set aside some time to think about the coming of Christ in order to live, die, and rise again and ascend to the throne that we might be saved. Lord, I pray that we would be honest and assess our own lives to see whether or not we are consumed by this truth. Has it really changed our lives or is it a celebration we take part in due to tradition year after year? May we, like these first century individuals that we've talked about today, be consumed by the message of Christmas, that Christ has come to save us from our sins, reconciling us to God that we might live with you forever. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.